I am, as of yesterday, at 3.07 p.m., funny enough, 3.07 being the area code of all Sheridan, or not even Sheridan, Wyoming, I guess is the correct uh, the correct terminology, all of Wyoming. 3.07 p.m. on July 10th, I was brought into this world. I was born on July 10th, 1997, 3.07 p.m. So as of yesterday, I mean the 10th, as of recording this, it was yesterday, it's the 11th today. As of recording this, I am officially... 26 years old. I have 26 years have been liveth on planet Earth by your old pal James. So um, thank you, everybody, that gave me happy birthday wishes and, and the whole shebang. Thank you so much. Uh, and now we are only 364 days away until the next one, the 27th birthday. So it's only getting closer, you know what I mean. Uh, 26. Here's uh, 26 things I learned. No, not really. Uh, 26, you know. Here's the thing I've learned about birthdays as I've gotten a little bit older. Um, literally none of them matter after 21, except maybe maybe 25. 25, that's like the rent. Like you can actually rent a car once you hit 25. But, I mean, nobody really pays attention to that unless you're traveling. So that doesn't really matter either. So 21, after 21, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's all just numbers at that point. I, I'm going to be the person that is going to forget like how old I am by the time I'm 29, I think. By the time I hit 30, I just don't think it'll matter anymore at that point. My dad's kind of that way too. My dad doesn't have has no idea. I don't think my dad has any idea how old he is. Uh, and I can ask him his birthday and stuff, and he knows like the date, but he doesn't want to do all the math, obviously. So I don't know if my dad actually knows how old, how old he actually is, um, which, you know, that's probably going to be me. I'm probably going to be the same way. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. You know, once you get, once you, like I said, once you get past 21... Who cares? It doesn't really matter anymore. A birthday is a birthday, and we've all, I mean, I've had 27 in a row, or 26 in a row, all the same time every year, you know? So they kind of just run together after a while. Happy birthday to Jimmy. Thank you guys very much for all the birthday wishes. Everybody that sent them my way, I appreciate it. Uh, to all the listeners, thank you very much for tuning into the show. We took last week off. It was July. It was Independence Day week, weekend, whatever you want to call it. We got an extended uh, extended weekend. Big thanks to Bob Grammons for that, obviously, here at Cheer to Me. We got a couple extra days off, so thank you to him. Uh, and uh, I hope you had a fantastic Independence Day, uh, Independence Weekend, Independence you know Day week, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we had one of the most... American, American, uh, American events that you could possibly have on July 4th. That also happens every single year. And no, I'm not talking about the fireworks. There's nothing else more American on our planet during July 4th than the hot dog eating contest that goes on at Coney Island. Of course, the man, the myth, the legend, once again, Joey Chestnut doing what he absolutely does best, winning an eating contest. I think it's his 15th. Uh, championship in a row when it comes to the hot dog eating contest. Uh, a true champion in the world of uh, competitive eating, which does, I mean, it has an official league. I can't remember what it's called. I think, it, you know, it's the competitive eating league, the CEL or something like that. Uh, and it's got an official league and everything. He's eaten plenty of other things, but everybody knows him for the hot dog eating contest. He's won 15 of them. He's the champion of our time, one of the greatest. Uh, and I will say this, and I'm not being... I'm maybe being a, a tad bit ironic, but not really. Uh, one of the greatest athletes of our time. The stuff that they have to go and put their bodies through in order to do that is, uh, I can't even imagine. Like, nonetheless, just eating the hot, like, 62 hot dogs or whatever it was that he won, 62, 65, something like that. Not just that, but everything that he has to do, like, beforehand to get himself ready to actually do something like that is 
just disgusting. It is so vile and gross. I would argue there's no other athlete in the world in any other sport that could do what he does. I I mean, granted, I don't think he could go in and dunk a basketball or anything like that, but I can say for sure, for sure, I don't think there's any other actual, and I don't want to say actual athlete, that's probably mean. There's no other athlete that we you know, typically see as an athlete that could go in and eat 62 to 65 hot dogs in, what was it, 10 minutes or whatever? And I think I could very confidently say that there's no other athlete on planet Earth that can do what Joey Chestnut does, downing that many hot dogs in 10 minutes. There's nobody else that can do it. So I count them as athletes. You know, they don't look like typical athletes or anything like that, obviously. Um, but there's nobody else that can do what he does. And the stuff that he and every other competitor eater has to go through in order to prepare themselves in order to do that, I mean, it's 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 messed up, you know? I mean, you know, it's not like they're putting the, themselves in danger or anything like that, but, like, the amount of calories that they burn and stuff like that burn off to get them to the point that they're ready to eat you know, the blank amount of calories that they end up eating in the competitive eating lead. Major league eating, I think is what it's called, the MLE, uh, is is astounding. So my hat goes off to Joey Chestnut, a true champion of our time, not the typical champion you see in like the Tom Brady's and LeBron James's or whatever, but still definitely a champion of our time when it comes to uh, professional athletes, if you will. Um, so that was, you know, that's always the big story. Every July 4th is the hot dog eating contest at and it was almost canceled, and then Joey Chestnut got the guys together, got the group together, was like, look, we're doing this we're doing this dang thing, all right? We're, we're going to do it. It almost got canceled by rain, which was, I mean, it's a hot dog eating contest. Like, do it inside, you know what I mean? Or put some, put some cover over the people, you know? And I get it's Coney Island. You got to do it on the boardwalk. I totally understand. It's all part of the, the, the spectacle. I understand that. But, I mean, it can't be canceled. Like, it can't get canceled because of rain, if it's a hot dog eating contest, you know what I mean? That's like where it differs a little bit for typical athletes. Uh, if you get a rain, you, you know, lightning delay in football or in baseball, obviously it's a little bit different. Um, and rarely in, in, in football. It's a little bit different for baseball because, you know, you don't need people waving um, wood above their head or whatever when there's lightning going on or something like that. Um, but it, it shouldn't be happening for the hot dog eating contest. You know, moving inside, have the hot dog eating contest so it's still on TV uh, and then, you know, I, you know, nobody's none the wiser at that point. But with that being said, Joey Chestnut, he pulled everybody together, said, look, we're doing this thing, whether you like it or not. And then as if God had seen what Joey Chestnut had done, the sky is cleared, it cleared up a little bit. The sun started shining down a little bit more and he was able to golf down 65 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Just how God had wanted. God had wanted it to happen just like he had wanted it to happen. Uh, so it was a fun, it's a fun event. It's always, it's always interesting to see it all. It also makes me want to throw up every time I say it, to be honest with you, but you know, that's why we'll never be him or I'll never be Joey Chestnut. I could never do that. And that's why he is one of the greats. Um, so yeah, it's really, I mean, other than like the, you know, we, we have NBA trade news and stuff like that. That's being a, been a whirlwind over the past week or so. Uh, we got NBA or NFL or MLB All-Star, I should say. MLB All-Star stuff coming up here pretty soon. And we had the MLB All-Star game, or excuse me, Home Run Derby All-Star game is coming up. But the Home Run Derby happened last night as of recording this, Monday, July 10th. Um, that's always a good birthday present to get. I love watching the Home Run Derby, like on my birthday, because I love the Home Run Derby. It is the, I, I've said this on podcasts before, on, on this podcast before, it is the best 
non-All-Star game event that happens in any of the uh, the major sports. Any of them. The Home Run Derby is so much fun. I love the Home Run Derby. Um, I do think it is running into... It, when they, they changed the format from, you know, like the 10-out system that they had for years and years uh, to the time system, which I do think at the very beginning, at the beginning it was a very good idea because it made it more competitive, and I think it just made it more interesting to watch for the most part but now i think they're also running into the problem where um we're not seeing as many like we're, we're seeing more home runs but not moonshots if that makes sense and it's harder for the camera to keep up with how many pitches are being thrown and the home runs that are being hit which can make it a little disorienting i think at times when you're watching the actual broadcast like if you watched um it was Randy Rosarina last night who ended up uh, getting second place behind Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, he was like, basically, after he hits the ball, he's ready to hit the next one. And if he's hitting back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs, uh, it can be very difficult for the camera to be able to follow that all the way into, you know, the, the entire point of the home run derby is to see where the ball lands. And if they're happening as quickly as they were last night, especially with Randy, uh, when he was at the plate, it was very difficult to watch at times because it was like the camera cuts, home run goes into the stands, quick cut, another home run going into the stands, quick cut, another home run going into the stands. It can be a little hard to follow. So that's like the only complaint. I do like the timer system. Part of me wonders that they should give them um, more time or, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I wish we saw more of the, you know, home run, watch and stare, watch it as it goes into the stands, get ready hit another one, watch it as it goes into the stands, that, that, that sort of thing. I'll never forget, like, Josh Hamilton's performance uh, when he, I can't remember when it was, it was at Yankee Stadium, but it was in the, you know, early 2010s, maybe a little bit before that, uh, when he had, like, 27 home runs in the first round or something like that, which, you know, has been blown away now. But, um, or I, I guess that was in the second round. He had, had the, like, 27 home runs in the second round or something like that, and every single one of them, every single one he hit, you got to watch the whole thing come off the bat all the way into the into the stands, and then he would relax a little bit, be like, oh, wow, I'm really doing this, and they'd step back in, do it again, and it was just, it was a really cool spectacle, and I can understand where people are having frustrations with it now because it is, it's just a speed game at this point. It's not necessarily, um, you know, you get your bonus time for hitting it over 440 feet, but it's not as valuable as getting as many home runs out as possible um, in the allotted time that you have. So that can, you know, I understand where some people have issues with it, um, but I also think in the end, um, when we get to like the final round, the time makes it a more fun event to watch in general, um, just because you have somebody going up against the clock with a certain amount that you have to get to, and that can lead to a pretty fun event to watch. Um, but for the most part, I think it's very cool. Julio Rodriguez went nutso last night. He had 41 home runs in three minutes in the first round. Three minutes, he had 41 home runs. It was insane. Uh, and he was the hometown kid. It's in Seattle, so he was the hometown kid, and he was just blasting the ball out of the park. It was so fun to watch. Granted, he used up a lot of his gas in that first round, and he wasn't able to move past the second round. He got beat up pretty good in the second round because he used, I mean, he was exhausted after hitting 41 home runs in three minutes. Like, that's one thing that I don't think the cameras catch very well in that event is how tiring that is. Like, they're putting in, you know, upwards of 120 swings in five minutes, essentially. Well, a little bit more than five minutes, closer to like 10 minutes, essentially. You know, you get like a decent amount of break in between, but when you're doing it like that repeatedly, it's got to be exhausting, exhausting, especially in the first and second rounds where it's three minutes 
and you're basically putting up as many home runs as possible. Like that's got to be so tiring. I cannot imagine like stepping in if in the final round how tired you are. It's like a, I mean, it's not you know in the same thing as boxing necessarily where you're getting hit over and over again, obviously. But in just in terms of the stamina you have to have, like it's got to be so exhausting. Um, but it's super cool. I love that event. One thing I will also say about that event that I love. Um, that I don't like that the All-Star has gotten the All-Star game itself has actually gotten away from is the uniforms, man. The uniforms when the contestants in the home run derby, they have all their home team's uniforms on. So Luis Robert was up there. He was rocking the White Sox home uniform. Adley Rutschman was up there, which by the way, hitting home runs on both sides of the plate was insane. That was super fun to watch. But he's in the home Orioles uniform. That was super cool. Those uniforms look so much better than if they were walking up with just the all-star game uniforms on and then the all-star game hat with the, you know, specified team that they're on or whatever. I hate, 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 hate what they've done with, they, they, for some reason thought they needed to go the NBA route, which is they have to have allocated all-star game uniforms, which I do not like. I think they need to have uh, whoever's hosting the all-star game in terms of what league they're in, either AL or NL, that league, so the National League will get their t- their home uniforms, so each team's home uniforms, and then the AL team, I guess this year it is the AL team, the, the Mariners are hosting it, so uh, it'll be an AL hosting gig. So it would be the AL teams all wearing, all the AL players all wearing their home team's uniforms, and then the NL, their visiting team's uniforms. I love that idea way more than having an allocated all-star uniform. I just don't think it looks, even though it looks more, no, you know, not trying to be redundant, more uniform, it doesn't look as good on the broadcast. I think it looks so much better when all of them are lined up in their different uniforms, in their team's uniforms, representing the team at the All-Star game. I think it looks so much better. And it kind of showed that way in the Home Run Derby when each team had um, a different representative show up and, uh, you know, there were eight representatives, but they were all from a different team uh, and they all had different uniforms on and it just looks so much better. It looks so much better than... Um, what we typically see, typically see from you know the All Star Game now, where it used to be you know home team uniform uh, and then away team uniform from your specified team, it is now you know allocated All Star uniforms and it just doesn't look as good. I wish we'd go back to the original where it was you know um, your team's uniform essentially, uh, either road or away, out on the field during the All Star Game. But you know that's a small complaint. I can get over that for the most part. Um, I think the All-Star game itself is, you know, it's also kind of a show similar to the Home Run Derby. Um, it's not, you know, it's I'm not saying pitchers are going out there just throwing up, you know, lollipops for these guys to hit. But I don't think anybody in that game is giving their 110% per se. I'll give them the 80%. You know, they're there to have fun regardless. Um, and they have fun by playing baseball, obviously. But I don't think they're going to, you know kill themselves to to try to make a play or anything like that in the all-star game now back in the day it actually used to have stakes i don't think i don't know if a lot of people remember this back in the day even up to you know 10 years ago even maybe even less than that uh whoever won whichever league won the all-star game got world series um got a home field advantage for the world series so if the al won and the Yankees went on to play in the World Series, then the Yankees would have home field advantage because the AL won the All-Star game. It was actual stakes that were added on to the uh, to the All-Star game, which I can understand why some people would love that, but I personally didn't because it is, again, it's a weekend that you're supposed to, as players, have a relaxing weekend 
uh, being celebrated as a player, one of the best players in the league. And going into that game, I can see why that would frustrate some people, um, especially players, because if your team is in the running now, you're you're definitely being leaned on like, hey, you, you got to play well and get everybody else to play well because we need the home field advantage when we get to the World Series. So what turned it, what was supposed to be, you know, a kind of a relaxing event, more or less, uh, turned into a pretty competitive game, which, of course, that's something that we want. Obviously, you don't want that product to be pouring kind of. I mean, the NBA All-Star game has kind of had this problem as well. Um, but I don't know if that is the incentive where it can affect the rest of the actual games, the actual regular season games that count. Uh, I don't think that's the incentive they need to have. I think, you know, you can put money on the table and stuff like that, and that'd be the incentive. I think that makes way more sense, um, but not necessarily home field advantage in the biggest series in baseball. You know, there's I think there's a good, like that is the most extreme measure to try to make it uh, an important game versus, you know, there's a good middle ground I think they can reach to make it more incentivized for people to actually try in that game. Not saying they all don't try, I'm just saying... They give less of a try, obviously, than they typically do. Um, and it's just, I mean, it, those guys are out there to have fun. You know, they're they're there to put on a show for the people that are watching because it's the All-Star game. You know, in the end, it doesn't necessarily uh, matter in the stats or anything like that. And they're not going to go to uh, arbitration with their general manager or the lawyers as part of the club and talk about, you know, their All-Star game performance or anything like that. You know, that's saved for regular season statistics, playoff statistics, All-Star game appearances, but not necessarily how they played in the all-star game or anything like that. So it is, I mean, it's a show. So, you know, I, I don't know how competitive they can actually make it and still retain a, uh, an audience that's wanting to watch the all-star game or necessarily all-star weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program. And it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate, could be your House Hunter esque real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. Okay, uh, with the All-Star game going on, this is approaching, I think this is typically, in the uh, in the entire grand scheme of sports, literally the most dead week uh, in all of sports. I think after the home run to, or the All-Star game in the MLB, they have... Uh, the ESPYs, and that's because there's literally nothing else going on. Like, there's no other sports really happening right now. I think they have some other, um, like the WNBA and stuff like that is going on, but none of the uh, the core four sports, if you will, uh, going on at the moment. So, um, I do want to talk about one a piece of news that did break over the weekend and kind of its overarching consequences uh, that are going to come of it and um, the cause and effect of what's going on in 
uh, this story, and I'm talking about uh, the Pat Fitzgerald, and mainly the Northwestern football uh, hazing scandal, I guess is what we can call it at this point, uh, that broke over the weekend um, thanks to a small piece, uh, a small journalistic arm of the Daily Northwestern, which is the student newspaper at the University of Northwestern. Um, it was a story that had initially been uh, brought together by a journalist at the Daily Nor Northwestern by the name of Sky Swan. Uh, and she basically um, wrote a cover story, a hold story, if you will, uh, that was about a, a investigation was about to take place. The football or the, the college, the university, uh, initiated an investigation. This was back in January uh, of this year that they had initiate, initiated an investigation into alleged hazing uh, following the 2022 season. And that was written by Sky Swan of the Daily Northwestern. So that was kind of the whole story, the beginning of everything. That was on January 11th um, that that was posted into the Daily Northwestern that they were the, the college had basically launched an investigation into an alleged hazing event that had taken post the 2022 uh, college football season. Fast forward essentially six months, uh, and we have a couple of journalists that get together by the name of Nicole Marcus, Alice Brown, Cole Reynolds, and I apologize if I'm saying this last name incorrectly, Divya Bardwaj. I apologize again if I'm saying that incorrectly, um, but those were the four journalists that came together and wrote a story uh, as part of the Daily Northwestern, and again, I cannot emphasize this enough. The Daily Northwestern, a Small, you know, university journalist outlet, newspaper, university newspaper got together for journalists and put together a story that is probably um, worth Pulitzer Prize nominations or Pulitzer Prize nods. Um, and these four journalists put together a story by the title of came out July 8th, so last Saturday, a former NU football player details hazing allegations after coach suspension. So. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I fast-forwarded a little bit ahead of time. This was uh, Pat Fitzgerald, who was the head football coach, uh, had been suspended uh, two weeks without pay, which is, by by the way, comedic in the middle of summer. On July 7th, they announced, Northwestern had announced that uh, head football coach Pat Fitzgerald would be suspended for two weeks without pay as a result of an investigation into alleged hazing within the football program. So Pat Fitzgerald gets suspended July 7th, and then on July 8th, uh, the Daily Northwestern releases that story. Former NU football player details hazing allegations after the coach uh, is suspended. And within that article, there are um, story upon story. I, I'm not going to go through it because it is it is some graphic details and um, very uh, disturbing details about some of the hazing that some of these freshmen would have to go through on the football team. Um, I would implore you, implore you to go and read the article by the Daily Northwestern because it does really shine a light on an issue that we have in uh, football locker rooms, locker rooms in general, especially, especially uh, male-dominated locker rooms in sports locker rooms. And I'm not saying that it happens in every single locker room by any means or anything like that, but the fact that it happens at all is um, kind of a blight on the entire idea of what um, locker rooms and brotherhood camaraderie with the game of football or basketball or whatever it may be uh, is supposed to be like. And in order to, like, for hazing to happen, you have to 
put aside the idea that this is your brother, this is uh, a person that is supposed to look up to you, especially as a freshman looking up to the juniors and seniors of any college football program or anything like that. And then the head coach uh, of this football program who got fired after this, which rightly so, and a lot of people are going to say, you know, what was he supposed to do about it if he didn't know anything? And I believe personally, uh, as a football head football coach at a big university such as Northwestern, in terms of um, they play in the Big Ten, they are a big school, they get a ton of eyes on them uh, when Big Ten football comes around. They just went and played over in Ireland as one of the teams, a marquee matchup as part of like Big Noon Saturday last year uh, in September. So it's not like this is just some small FCS school or you know smaller Division II school uh, that doesn't have the funding or the resources behind it to be able to... Um, you know, have a head coach that is able to monitor what is going on inside his locker room and outside his locker room with the people that he is supposed to be coaching. Um, this is a clear sign of an issue within culture, the culture that is brought up by um, somebody like Pat Fitzgerald or the people that are around him, the people that he appoints to be the guys that are supposed to be leaders on the team, whether it be you know, strength coaches or whatever, you know, assistant coaches or what have you. Um, and it is reported in this story from the Daily Northwestern uh, that uh, Pat Fitzgerald knew about what was going on uh, and uh, was aware of what was happening, would even uh, not necessarily partake, but kind of give the go-ahead, if you will, the nod, quote-unquote, um, for this hazing to happen. Now, granted, this was... Um, not it, it was refuted by a lot of the players, some of the players, the, the older players and stuff like that that were on that are on the team now. Um, and you know, they the categorical categorically denied anything that was happening there, as well as Fitzgerald's involvement with any of it. Um, but uh, it has been confirmed by one other source, a uh, former player and source that was part of the team, uh, as well as the original allegations from the former player as well. So, uh, and again, I don't want to go into the descriptions of any of the allegations, but I'm telling you, it's not, you know, you think of hazing, you thinking of pranks or stuff like that. It is not like that. That is not what this is. Um, it is darker than that. It is more um, stuff that can absolutely lead to mental trauma and, and things like that from uh, psychological trauma and things like that. It is not, you know, simple pranks. You know what I mean? That is not what they are dealing with here. It is something much deeper and darker and um, stuff that can cause actual mental uh, problems, psychological problems in the future. Um, and for that to be happening under the watch of a Big Ten coach, uh, head coach, and uh, the people around him. I absolutely am okay with him being let go and fired because of that. Uh, because if you are a head coach or an assistant coach or whatever, um, as part of a huge school and a school with eyes upon it um, like this, and even if that's not the case, if you're a head coach of a football team that plays uh, in high school in Sheridan, Wyoming, or anything like that, I mean, even if that's the case, you should know what is happening inside of your locker room uh, as the the, the the monitor of that program, period, cut and dry, plain and simple. If it can't be you, it has to be somebody around you that you trust very well that is able to know what is going on uh, within your program. You have to have some sort of, you know, a team therapist or whatever that is able to travel with you and talk to guys and be there to be the eyes and ears that are able to talk to the head coach and tell them what is going on. And if that is not what's happening then you are not fit to run any part of the program. I don't care how good of a football coach you are. If you cannot handle what is going on or 
control what is happening in your locker room to the kids, kids that are coming on to your team, that are brought onto your team to perform uh, a duty that they aren't necessarily paid for, uh, and they are dealing with stuff like this hazing that has gone way out of the realm of where it's supposed to, completely inappropriate. You should not be there. You should not be the person that is that is uh, being the that is supposed to lead these uh, people into adulthood uh, and teach them lessons that they will carry on into the future. You do not deserve to be a head coach if that is something that is happening under your watch. You are the leader in that sense, but that is not something that should not be happening and it should be happening under the leader's watch. Period. Plain and simple. Cut and dry. Um, I also want to say that this, uh, in the in the in the shadow of all that is happening here with the Daily Northwestern, um, and how important it just shines a light on how important it is for journalism in general to be funded and exist um, in the state of the world that we live in, um, especially especially, and this all comes. In the same at the same time that this is all unfolding, uh, the New York Times came out, I believe it was yesterday, Monday, uh, and said that they are shuttering their sports division, um, which is just in the world that we live in today, with how um, big sports has gotten and how big the athletes have gotten, there needs to be some sort of check and balance to what is happening in the world of sports today, and that is your sports journalists and your sports journalism. Uh, that is going to be so important as the world moves forward uh, for sports to be able to have stories like this that come out because the Daily Northwestern doesn't exist uh, and that newspaper doesn't exist or or what have you. Um, this story doesn't come out and the anonymous players aren't able to get their story out. And then also um, there, there's also been reports of um, issues with racism inside the football program program racism allegations, enabling racism allegations added into this entire problem as well. And this one, uh, this person has a name to them as well. It wasn't an anonymous source. It was uh, former offensive lineman Ramon Diaz Jr. came out and said, look, um, I, he didn't, he said, quote, I didn't feel like I could do anything other than white. Diaz told the Daily, we never felt like we could be ourselves. We felt like we had to fit. Uh, we had to fit in by being white or acting white or laughing at our own people. And that's from somebody that's not an anonymous source. That is a, a source with a name. Ramon Diaz Jr. came out and said that. And then afterwards, he was diagnosed with PTSD after graduation. And, and then he said that he, when he, what he experienced at Northwestern was a major factor in that diagnosis. If they don't have the Daily Northwestern or any newspaper that these athletes feel like they can go to, this story never gets out. It, it doesn't get out, or at the very least, it doesn't get out in the time that it has or in the time frame that it has. It comes out later, which only leads more hazing allegations to come out and more hazing to happen. Um, and I think that is so important, and the fact that the New York Times is shuttering, shuttering their sports division uh, is a, a blight on what we should see as journalism in general. We see these incredible reporters, the people at the Daily Northwestern, whom I named earlier, Nicole Marcus, Alice Brown, Cole Reynolds, and Divya Bardwaj, as well as uh, Sky Swan. These people have done a heroic duty, as well as the people that have come out, even the anonymous sources as well, have come out and uh, with these hazing allegations and shine a, sh shined a light on stuff that should not be happening in the world of sports in general, and period, especially in football um, and basketball, 
just any of the sports in general, hazing like this should not be something that is happening in the world of sports. And I think it is so important that we have journalism like this in the world of sports to be the checks and balances. It's not just politics that needs that, but the checks and balances that happen within locker rooms or within sports that is going on. Another example um, that would not have happened without any of the student journalism that happened, the entire Jerry Sandusky uh, situation at Penn State with Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky, um, that entire story, if you're not familiar with that story, it is one of the biggest, arguably the biggest story that ever came about college football uh, easily within the last 25 years. And it led to um, arrests of Jerry Sandusky. Joe Paterno was fired, and essentially uh, he basically died after that. I think a lot of people kind of attribute his death to uh, the entire stress of that situation, which... You know, I'm not convicting anybody to death, but that was a large part of what was going on. What was happening with Jerry Sandusky and what he was doing uh, to children uh, was something that he knew about, didn't do anything about it. And, you know, 20 years went on before any, anybody, a school reporter, caught on to the situation, did amazing reporting that led to the arrest of Jerry Sandusky uh, and his conviction in prison. Uh, and then another one. Art Bryles, Baylor University, that entire disaster that happened there with sexual misconduct, sexual assault, uh, and and rape as well, um, was covered by ESPN and their staff reporters that went in and did incredible journalistic reporting uh, that led to the firing of Art Bryles. Basically, the the shunning of Art Bryles from the university in general and college football in general uh, to the point where, I mean, he barely, I think he got a job at a D3 school or something like that. And then he was shunned, I believe out of that as well. There is a, I think there is a possibility he is still working as well, but he's never, we're never going to see him in a division one program ever again. I don't, I hope. Um, And then the arrest of a bunch of students that were uh, accused and then found guilty of those acts as well. So none of that happens without, Good reporting, good reporting, sports reporters that are willing to do the work and the investigations because they're not swayed or blinded by the affinity of their program or the college football program. You know, they don't see who Joe Paterno is and says, maybe I'll let this slide because it's Joe Paterno. He is a, you know, godfather figure on this university or Art Bryles, uh, he is a person that has been with this university and has led this team to incredible heights. I'm going to maybe turn a blind eye a little bit. Or uh, Pat Fitzgerald, who has been with the team for was it twenty almost 20-plus years, uh, and maybe I'll turn a blind eye because he should know better than I do. These people go in and they look at what is happening and they report on the facts that, is ha- on the facts that are happening and how uh, this is you know incredibly wrong and people should know about this. And... I cannot tip my cap enough. Daily, the Daily Northwestern is putting a, uh, they, they are showing the world what good journalism can do and how important it is to have done in the world of sports and not just the world of sports, but, you know, in everywhere, in politics and in science and whatever it is, in, in the entertainment industry, wherever it is, what ger- good journalism can do as the checks and balances to a lot of these major corporations or organizations or politicians or whatever it is and how important um, these journalists can go to finding information and um, creating story and make and writing stories that the world need to know uh, in order to shine a light on what is actually happening in some of the world of sports um, and 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 outside of it I think what they're doing is just such important work and it needs more attention um, 
the Daily Northwestern and those writers deserve every piece of praise that they are going to get. Um, and they have altered the way we look at, I mean, and it's not just them, uh, but altered the way we look at, um, you know, the college football mentality inside locker rooms uh, in not just football, but, you know, other sports as well um, that go on inside those locker rooms in many other sports and how we perceive what is going on in those locker rooms. Uh, and I respect that. I, I That takes a ton of courage, especially from a newspaper that is affiliated with the university because they know this is going to affect what's going to happen at the university. Uh, and they see that, but they know that the story that they are um, writing is more important to the grand scheme of things. It's not just about the university at this point. It has affected the lives of people that have come through that university and played for that football program. And that is more important to what is going on in the world and the university than what the football program, whatever they're putting together, is putting out into the world as a football program as part of the university. And um, I just wanted to commemorate them for that uh, and use this as a piece of a larger puzzle that shows that journalism, sports journalism, you know, investigative journalism is so important in the world that we live in today, especially with how um, big these, you know, universities, organizations or whatever have gotten uh, and the ability that they have gotten to, uh, in some cases, be able to sweep this just disgusting um, stuff under the rug and hope that nobody finds it. Push their skeletons in the closet, essentially, and hope that nobody opens the door and sees them come flooding out. Those investigators are the people that go into the closet, open it, and investigate every little thing that has happened and give the story to the people that they deserve to see and make their judgments with. And I appreciate that, and I thank them for what they're doing. I implore you, I implore you, implore you, implore you to go read the article uh, that Nicole Marcus, Alice Brown, Cole Reynolds, and Divya Bardwaj have written, as well as Sky Swan, who initiated uh, this essentially back in January the 11th, which who put out a hold story essentially saying that, hey, uh, there is a, an investigation that is beginning to happen about an alleged hazing scandal. That was back in January. And all the way, like all the time later, after investigation and writing, uh, investigations and the writers writing, obviously, um, we have this piece that is going to make waves through uh, all of college football and change lives, I believe. So a big thank you to all of them. And um, I think it is something that we should pay attention to. I implore you again to go read their story at the Daily Northwestern. It's free. You can read through all of it right now. Um, and I'm sure they're going to have more stories that come out of this, especially after um, the firing of Pat Fitzgerald. And, you know, I'm sure this will uh, implore more people to come forward, more former players or what have you, to come forward and talk about their story as well. So um, that's what I wanted to talk about primarily today um, because I think it is very uh, important to talk about this stuff, obviously, um, and show the work that good journalists are doing in the world of journalism today. And you know, you can follow, I, I wanted to tap on this as well a little bit. Um, you can follow your Adrian Wojnarowski's, your Adam Schefter's, or what have you. But those, and this is no offense to them, I'm not saying what they do isn't important, but those aren't the people you should be looking for for your news-breaking stuff like this. Um, I follow those guys on, on Twitter as well because, you know, they break trades and stuff like that. But they don't have the important stories that are going to be put up on ESPN or any of those places as well that are going to change um, 
the mentality that we have towards the sport or investigate the important stuff that is being swept under the rug or put into the put into the closet as skeletons. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski and Adam Schefter, again, no offense to them, they are essentially um, the media hands to these organizations, such as uh, NBA organizations, if you're Adam or if you're Adrian Wojnarowski, or NFL organizations, if you're Adam Schefter. We saw a report come out of Adam Schefter talking to an owner, or I believe it was an owner, of a team, or GM of a team, excuse me, uh, the Washington football team, Washington Commanders, they were known as something formerly before then, the Washington football team, uh, talking to a GM and signing it off as Dear Mr. Editor, even though obviously he was not working for Washington at the time, he was wanting to know what to put out into the world uh, that made more sense for the Washington football team. So those guys are mouthpieces to the agents, to the players, to the um, to, to the organizations as well. They are the people that are going to break the news uh, and not necessarily investigate anything that is actually happening in that situation. Adam Schefter had been around the Washington football team, never broke a single story or never did any investigative work around Dan Snyder or anything that is happening there. That is actual journalists that are doing that job from the Washington Post uh, and other journalists throughout uh, the sports industry as well. That is not Adam Schefter. That is not any of those guys that are the news-breaking people. Even if they have the followers that will blast out the actual story, uh, they have the, the, the story that they will blast out that they didn't write necessarily, but they will put it out into the world to their millions of followers. They are not the people that do the investigative work or any of the journalistic stuff that needs to be followed more. Um, I, like I said, I follow Adam Schefter. I follow Adrian Wojnarowski. But those aren't the journalists that you're going to find that are going to put out these stories uh, that take incredible investigative arms uh, and incredible amounts of work to do. Uh, they are more or less mouthpieces for the players, the agents, and the owners, the GMs, and stuff like that to report on trades that are likely happening or sway certain things that are likely happening in the world of sports. So shout out to the Daily Northwestern. Um, thank you for all their hard work. Please go read the story, um, you know, and, and anything else that they come out with afterwards, because this is an important story that will affect the college football world and more importantly, the lives of the people that have gone through that program uh, and had have had it affected them negatively, obviously, through the allegations uh, of stuff that has happened inside that program. So um, thank you to the reporters. Thank you to the investigators. Thank you to the Daily Northwestern. Um, it is their reporting that is going to give confidence to somebody else that is going to do another investigative piece on something else nefarious that is happening in the world of sports. It is bound to happen. Uh, it is a, a time bomb that is constantly ticking uh, that will happen again in the world of sports. It's inevitable. Um, that is going to wrap up the show, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, remember to, you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, sure, remember to uh, rate this podcast as well on any of those podcasting platforms that you listen to, listen to it as well. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Um, but for now, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Big shout out to uh, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate as well for sponsoring the program. If you have any real estate needs or anything like that, please go check them out. Uh, they will help you with anything you need to sell your house or buy your house here in Sheridan. So make sure you check them out as well. Big thank you to them. Uh, this has been the Weekend Sports Round Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake. Mm-hmm.